Hi, it's John here, and Matt's back. Yes, local camera builder, inventor, overall mad scientist, and maker of the Ravini Labs light meter, Matt Beckberger joins myself and James Lee to discuss his process on building homebrew cameras. Where does he find his ideas, his inspiration? What bits and bites are in his spare parts bin? Join us and find out as we start now. Welcome to the Classic Camera Revival, coming to you from the Greater Toronto Hamilton region of Ontario, Canada. If you don't have gear acquisition syndrome now, you most likely will by the end of the episode. Oh, Matt, welcome back to Classic Camera Revival. Hey, thanks for having me. So I guess at film shooters, we already tend to be a bit of a minority in the photography world these days, but not as much of a minority as you used to be. But you're even a minority in a minority because you build your own cameras. And we're not talking about, you know, making a pinhole camera out of a pizza box. You're making the real deal. So my first question is, what inspired you to start building your own cameras? Uh, well, I originally got into to pinhole um, probably almost 10 years ago. And uh, I don't know. I mean, I, you could probably buy pinholes back then, but I was a college student and I had... Uh, I had materials and time and no money, so making them myself seemed like a sensible thing to do. And the first one that I built was a six by seventeen, so I also kind of wanted it to be like different. I didn't want to just uh, make you know like a six by six or something. I wanted it to be kind of exciting, yeah, um, something a little different. So, and is I, that the uh, is that the six by seventeen that's sitting in my uh, my front room right now? <laughs> no, it's not that that one I built later. Uh, 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 to use the lens because um, you really do have to kind of design my, well, my designs always start with the, uh, with, with the lens or in the case of the pinhole, the pinhole. Um, and you kind of have to design around that. So with the six by 17, for example, because it's got a really wide uh, field of view, um, like the pinhole is not so critical because the depth of field is so large <clears throat> on both sides of the lens or on both sides of the hole. There's, there's a lot of depth of field in the, in the scene, but there's a lot of uh, depth for the for the film placement uh it stays in focus but you get a lot of uh fall off um because uh the more distance between the film and the pinhole the darker the image becomes um so i uh, i usually build curved curved film plane pinholes so you you curve them in the at least in in one dimension and that that helps to maintain the distance to the pinhole and that that improves the results a lot like uh especially for something like six by 17 you get so much fall off um, the edges of the of the picture are like twice as far away from the pinhole, so right. it's a lot darker. So you can make it you can make it curved, which is cool um, because the film is flexible, and you can make a a curved uh, film plane. Uh, and and because in that case, the lens is not expecting a flat film plane. Like if you had a lens camera, you can't very easily make a curved film plane because the um, the lens is designed to project the image on a flat plane, so it has a flat image plane behind the lens. Um, so that doesn't work as well, but with pinhole, you can actually curve the film, um, effectively. Uh, and it, and it helps the result a lot, especially if you're trying to do something where the like six by 17 or even wider, um, you can, I'm sure you could do like four by five, uh, curved pinhole if you wanted to. Yeah. That, that's such an interesting, um, uh, variable, uh, when you're building, I, I, and it's actually until you've mentioned it, I've, that's something I've never really thought about. Um, but that makes a lot of sense, especially when you're getting into those ultra wide, uh, 
that ultra wide formats because typically that that back element that rear element is a convex element in a lot of cases and spreads the uh the light rays out from the center outwards so the uh the outer edges um obviously have a longer way to travel it's going to reduce intensity and that's obviously the theory behind fall off but what yeah. what i find really interesting is um how do you uh, how does one calculate uh, how to to make those curves and 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 still obviously like maintain focus and that sort of thing. Well, in a pinhole, it's it's pretty easy because a pinhole of a certain diameter has a certain sort of optimal. They're very flexible, um, but they have a sort of certain optimal film distance. So if uh, if it's let's say it's fifty millimeters or something, that might be pretty short. But if you just maintain fifty millimeters all the way around the film curve, then Oh, okay. that's the answer yeah right gotcha you're so just then, maintaining it yeah. yeah like it would work uh you could do this like if you had a really wide angle lens and you've got a lot of fall off with a lens you yeah. can do the same thing but the problem is that the focal plane is flat right so you would get the same brightness across mm-hmm. the image you would you would get rid of the fall off but you wouldn't the edges of the frame actually the only part of the frame that would be in focus would be the middle and then the, mm-hmm. the focus would get continually worse as you got further away from um the sort of the vertical line that's um that's actually the correct focal yeah because um, essentially there's just yeah. a, there'd be a small circle that would be in focus where i guess the prime area of the lens is is projecting on the film plane but then as you move further out if you don't have that <laughs> curvature in there um right it yeah. changes the, the length or the obviously what the length of travel of the light rays and therefore becomes out of focus and uh, you know, essentially, I guess it's a theory of bokeh and uh, and um, and fall off. Oh. Yeah, one uh, one of the problems is, of course, is uh, uh, sheet materials don't like to bend in two dimensions at the same time. So um, <clears throat> you can flex the film in one direction or the other direction, but you can't do both at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can only solve for that fall off problem in one dimension. So you 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 choose the longest dimension because that's where you're gonna have the most fall off. And you have to deal with the fall off uh, in the other dimension. So in a six by 17, uh, the six centimeter side gets the fall off is much less pronounced than the 17 centimeter side. So um, if you curved it the other way, you would you could solve for it, but there's less to eliminate. So the, the value is lower and then you wouldn't be able to solve for the, the fall off in the other dimension. The only way you could do that is if you um, were painting, um, painting an emulsion onto a, a, a dome. Um, like a, a hemisphere or uh, a portion of a, of a sphere, you mm. can paint it on the inside and put that in a camera uh, with a pinhole and then expose your image on the inside of this um, three-dimensional curve. Right. And then you wouldn't have any fall off in any dimension. <laughs> but <laughs> but uh, you're not going to be able to make a film holder. Well, your film holder well, would be like a large box, I guess. I guess, yeah. And then <laughs> and then how do you develop something like that? I, well, I guess you, cause you'd have to be easy. A, you just pour a developer in it like a bowl and slot. No, it no. Out. I mean, how would you how would you print something um, from that, right? Because you, I guess oh, you'd, you'd right. be essentially be creating um, like a spherical oh. glass plate, right? You couldn't even contact print it. It'd have to be like a d- direct positive kind of process. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. my 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 next question was actually going to be to ask you about your design process, but we've already sort of blown right by that, <laughs> getting into the weeds. But if we take a step back <laughs> from an overall point of view. Can you tell me more about your design process? Like, where where do you start? 
Well, so I, uh, I've never actually made a lens, um, per se. I've, I've sort of messed around with, uh, pieces of, of lenses. Um, but I've never actually made, you know, like grinding glass and stuff is really difficult. Um, and I don't, I don't want to make a camera that takes like really bad pictures. Like you could, you can make a lens out of, uh, a, you know, a piece of glass that you find or something, but you're not going to get a great picture out of it. But, uh, so, so generally the first step is to find a lens, uh, and sort of figure out the capabilities of the lens. So you're going to need to know the focal distance and the lens coverage at the focal distance. So you might already know that if you know what the lens is for originally. So if you have a large format or let's say you, you took an old, um, folding six by six, uh, pocket camera, you know that that lens is is supposed to cover six by six. Um, and it may cover a little bit more. So if you're going to try to like play with the limits, it can always cover less. Of course, if you want to play with the limits, you can, um, get a piece of, uh, like parchment paper or wax paper or tissue paper. Mm-hmm. And you can actually, um, use that as like a really simple ground glass and actually project, uh, an image. So, uh, one thing I'll do is I'll get a cardboard box I'll cut a hole in it, I'll put the lens in the hole, um, just kind of jam it in there. And that just kind of makes a light block. Then I'll put some, you know, depending on the size of the camera, it could be scotch tape if it's a tiny camera or wax paper if it's a big camera and make a, a ground glass. And I can move it in and out to find where it's in focus. And then I can see how big the image circle is. And you can take a Sharpie and like draw on it and figure out the diameter of the image circle really easily. And then you can it's not quite so easy to measure the the focal distance that way, but um, you can kind of experimentally find the focal distance as well, um, or at least get close enough. If you can't, if you can't figure it out perfectly, you design your camera to have a little bit of flexibility. So if you can, um, well, if you have a focusing mechanism and you're going to use a ground glass to focus anyway, it may not be a big deal. You just build the camera with enough travel that it's going to cover the, the or it'll have the infinity point, uh, which will be the, closest point that the lens is useful and then moving the lens further away from the film it's going to be more and more macro uh, uh or closer focusing uh, but you really you want to make sure you have that infinity point uh any closer doesn't actually do any any optical good because nothing will ever be in focus um so you find that you find the spot you need and then uh you can kind of start working your your design backwards from there so uh usually what i do i, I like to design in the computer um especially now because i do a lot of 3d printing but even before that, I would uh, uh, spend a lot of time 3D modeling uh, parts. So it lets me kind of easily play with the design. Um, so I would draw the lens and then I would start drawing. I would draw a cone off the back to represent the image circle. And I would start drawing all these different um, virtual pieces in my 3D drawing to um, to represent like the light path. And then I go on to the next step, which is like once I have the characteristics of the lens determined, and I, uh, and I determine, you know, uh, my goal film size and film type. So if it's a 35 millimeter film or 120 film and, uh, uh, or a large format, uh, you know, four by five, um, and you start, then you start building dimensions on dimensions after that. And for things like the, um, well, I assume like for the lens, you're typically looking for a lens that has a shutter already built into it. Uh, I try to, yeah, I usually end up using, I mean, it's very easy to uh, take a lens that's for a different format and go and kind of go down a format. So like uh, it's really easy to build a, a medium format camera using a large format lens or using a uh, medium format lens to build a 35 millimeter camera. 
Um, I've, I've done uh, all of those before. You can also build like a kind of a multi-format camera. Like I, ha- I have a sort of a small four by five that's built around a 65 millimeter large format lens. So it does four by five and takes four by fives, but I also have a six by nine rollback that can go into the camera as well. So, um, you know, it's easier to, it's easier to work down the size scale mm-hmm. um, because most lenses uh, with a few exceptions don't cover beyond the format they were designed for. So most 35 millimeter lenses don't really cover much beyond the, uh, I think it's 42 millimeter diagonal size of a standard 35 millimeter um, frame size. Mm. So you're, you're going to struggle to, uh, well, if you could build a six by six camera that takes um, M42 lenses, for example, uh, but you'd have to figure out a shutter and you would end up with a circle in the middle of your six by six rather than uh, full six by six coverage. You get like a 45 millimeter diameter circle. Um, which could be cool, but, um, but it's not, you know, you can't just kind of jam two things together and, and get a result. You will get a larger image circle if you move the lens further away, but, uh, there's only one distance where it will focus to infinity. So mm-hmm. you, you have, you have, you have some variability you can play with, but you are going to be limited to, uh, a certain range of, uh, of distances, uh, that are useful basically. And I guess one decision you have a when you're designing and building a camera is uh, what parts do you fabricate yourself from scratch and what parts do you sort of, you know, scrounge or Frankenstein from other cameras? Right. Yeah. Um, I mean, I never take like a a good camera and take parts from it. Um, But if you have broken cameras around uh, that are, you know, beyond repair or not worth repairing, um, they're a great source for, for parts. Uh, it depends on, you know, what you have access to. If you have a lot of tools and, and, and know-how, um, you can get a lot done. If you've got, um, a 3D printer, you can definitely print like every piece of the camera if you want, except the lens. Or there are people who have printed lenses, but, uh, there's a lot of post-processing needed to, uh, to make it even close to optically, uh, clear. Um, but you can do a lot, uh, with 3D printing. Like, uh, nice things are like, you know, like a self-contained back, like from a Hasselblad is a great starting point for um, a camera because that takes care of film transport and film counting. It's light tight. It's got a dark slide. So it's um, you can even make it interchangeable. Um, so it's kind of that's something like that solves a lot of problems for you. There's a lot of people who make panoramic cameras, um, uh, 35 millimeter panoramic cameras by taking an old SLR and cutting out, they remove the shutter and they cut out the excess uh, around the film, uh, basically where the shutter plane used to be. They'll cut out the excess and then they'll put a uh, a wide angle lens from a large format system. They'll put it on there and they'll uh, they'll use it kind of like, it essentially kind of makes a poor man's uh, X-Pan camera. Hmm. There's a guy online, I think he sells them now. He's in Alberta. His name is Freeman Lynn. Uh, he's on uh, Instagram and he makes quite a number of these using uh, Mamiya, Mamiya press lenses, like a 50 millimeter Mamiya press lens. Mm-hmm. And he will, uh, he'll take the camera, like a, a Nikon, um, like one of the like consumer grade Nikons from the eighties, um, like still metal body and everything, but he'll remove the mount. He'll remove the prism. He cuts the top off the top plate and he'll uh, take out the shutter and gut the back end so that he's got from, basically from the film counter um, sprocket to the film um, uh, canister area, 
he, he can use the whole width of that space. Mm-hmm. So it just makes a big wide aperture plate then. Yeah. Yeah. It opens it right up. And because the shutter's in the lens, he doesn't need the shutter anymore. So he can reclaim all that space. Um, and then he'll 3d print a piece that goes over the, uh, it goes over the top where he cut off the prism and it goes over the front to fill all the gaps back in. And then it provides the, uh, uh, bayonet mount for the Mamiya press lens. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he'll put a, um, He'll put a viewfinder on top of this flat plate where the prism used to be, and that's and and uh, that's where he's uh, puts a viewfinder. That sounds um, very cool. Yeah, it's really cool. Um, and uh, I think he started making those now. Uh, even like you can buy them from him, and those are really to, neat. I'm gonna have to check that out. Yeah, that so, is really cool. So when you're building the camera, like in terms of the parts and fabrication. Um, what do you find the most challenging bits to work on? Hmm. Um, well, it depends on the material I've, I've chosen. I like I'll work in wood or I'll work in metal, depending on what, um, depending on the part, like, like a camera, you want it to be pretty light. So, you know, large pieces, you maybe want to make out of wood, smaller pieces, you might want to make out of metal because you need uh, more strength or higher precision or something. So material choices are, are really driven by the, um, the requirement uh, of that piece. Um, and it has to be light proof too. So metal's nice um, because it is light proof. Really thin wood is is not necessarily light proof. So um, you uh, you want to make sure you're using materials that are going to block the light well enough uh, that the camera doesn't. Um, uh, I mean, it depends if you want to coat it or something too. I guess, but like if you had really thin wood, um, light could actually go right through it. It'll light up essentially on the inside. Um, so you have to sort of take into account the light proofing requirements. Um, and usability. 3D printed plastic is is good too. It's it's really convenient. It's it doesn't take a lot to you know you don't need a lot of tools to uh, get involved with the 3D printing of a camera. You uh, really just need some hand tools and a 3D printer, and you can iterate quickly. Like you can you know print out some pieces, and if there's a problem, uh, reprint it quite quickly. So it's 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 totally about like you know the case by case. Um, but usually aluminum, sometimes steel where I need a, some steel pieces. I like to use wood um, because I like the look. So I'll, I'll use wood and I'll finish it with um, a tongue oil or something. A uh, camera I, I made recently, the top and bottom halves were made of uh, maple. Um, and uh, I made a camera. Part of it was oak, uh, kind of reinforced with aluminum. But a um, bunch of it was, uh, was made from oak, like the main body panels were oak. I recently did a, uh, a small camera that uses a 35 millimeter lens um, that I got from a, a Canon Owl point and shoot. Um, I put in an old microscope uh, Polaroid adapter shutter. Uh, and I found actually that it, it, it's got some fallout, like a lot of fallout, but it does cover uh six by six. Huh. Um, so it, I think the focal distance is like 30 something millimeters. It's very short. So I made this short little body uh, that, um, it's a short little body and then it's, it's a Kiev 88 back. Um, and then around the perimeter of the body is, um, cold shoe slots. There's three on, on, uh, on the three sides. There's none on the bottom, but there's three on the three sides. And then I designed a bunch of accessories that slide into those slots. And when the back is on the camera, it, it uh, locks everything in place. It, it blocks the rear of the slots to prevent anything from falling out. So there's a viewfinder on a, on a riser. There's a grip, there's some strap lugs, um, 
and a couple of other pieces. And then it's this one's just fixed focus. I'm holding it up to the camera for the uh, for the viewers at home who can't see. <laughs> um, I can see it. It looks really cool. Yeah, and uh, and so uses a Kia V88 back. I, I did use metal. I made a, uh, aluminum um, hooks for the top latch and aluminum er, and actually steel little tabs that uh, engage on the bottom of the film holder, and then um, then the whole thing snaps together pretty nicely. Um, and that's all 3D printed plastic except for uh, there's a shutter release cable, a, a short shutter release cable built into the grip. Actually, I, I was having trouble getting the lens just right. Um, and I printed some, some, uh, plastic shims, but basically just thin washers. Um, I printed a couple different sizes and then I cut out, cut out some more out of paper and I used a microscope to like, try to focus an image against, uh, uh, a negative that was uh, taped inside the film holder and then lit with a, with a led through the, um, through the film, um, backing paper door where you mm-hmm. view the, the number. I shined a light through there and was using that, using that plus an, a negative taped inside plus a microscope as a collimating device to set the lens correctly through experimentation. It was kind of fiddly, but uh, seems to have worked. You have a lot of patience um, for doing that, man. Now that, that's incredible. <laughs> Holy smoke. It looks a lot like um, one of the uh, Hasselblad uh, uh, super wides with like yeah. the 30, 38, uh, what is it? 38.4 Biogon or something. Uh, lens, but yeah. I mean, your yours said you said was uh, like a thirty. It's a thirty-five okay. millimeter. Uh, originally it was f four point five, but the original camera, the shutter and the electronically controlled shutter and the aperture use the same blades. Mm-hmm. Um, so I actually made I made a uh, I forget what it's made out of now. I think it's I think it's pop can actually that's painted black, <laughs> um, but there's a little permanent aperture inside like a waterhouse stop kind of thing right that's mounted inside so it's about f8 i think uh, i don't know precisely but i think it's around an f8 aperture um and then the shutter goes up to one two fiftieth so it's pretty it's pretty much it covers like you know most of the ranges you wouldn't be able to use a uh, really high speed film in it but uh, not outdoors, but uh, compare when you compare uh, a camera like that, like the uh, the cost of the Hasselblad equivalent, you know, which is basically <laughs> your your compact car, third mortgage and a and a child, exactly. Not yeah. to mention the left kidney. Yeah. There could be a market for that kind of that kind of thing. Well, yeah, like even selling, could be, yeah. yeah. If you but, can, if you can. Um, well, the thing is, I made this out of it's partially made of garbage. Um, and, and, and it's partially made out of just old stuff. So the, the trouble would be finding a source for all these parts that you couldn't, you know, like it's going to cost you, it's going to cost you a lot of time if you're building each one of these from, uh, pieces of trash that you find. So you'd have to find some sort of source of, of components, right? Like I don't have any more, um, copal shutters from an old microscope. Right. (laughs) That's, that's a really good point. Like, uh, it's, it's one thing to like to do a, essentially a one-off. But right. to uh, to be able to sort of mass produce them is a whole different set of variables you have to worry about. That's kind of the thing about the making of cameras too is is the, you know like a custom camera like that. Um, it's kind of something you have to do on your own. Like you, you know, you find some candidate parts in particular. You know, step one's kind of find the lens, and then there's you know what you have available to work with in terms of tools and and skills and materials and preferred materials that you that you like to work in. And then, um, you know, sort of taking that, that lens and back designing the, the camera, uh, and then 
and then building it, you know, out of what you've got and, and, you know, putting pieces on it um, from, you know, what you have. Uh, and then you end up with something that's totally unique. Um, and there's, so there's kind of like, there's some discovery along the way. And, and that's a lot of fun. I think, like, I think, I think making it's kind of, kind of is part of the, you know, like, cause, cause they're a little rough to use a lot of them. Right. <laughs> and uh, so if you made it, you know, at least you, uh, you have that like parental love towards the, the yeah. camera and you know, <laughs> you're, forgiving, a, you're forgiving of it. <laughs> yeah. And you know, all its little quirks and nuances and things like that too. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Like, yeah. well, one of the, a big, a big uh, pain, which still always gets me is a lot of large format lenses have a, a, a lever for opening the shutter, right. For focusing, which you basically never want in, <laughs> in a camera that doesn't have a dark slide uh, or removable film. So I built this, uh, I'm showing you on the screen, this, uh, uh, it's a super wide 35 millimeter. It's a 24 millimeter. The frame size is 24 millimeters tall and hundred millimeters wide. And, uh, uh, it, because it, because it's, uh, it doesn't have a, a dark slide, doesn't have removable film, you know, you can't change rolls part way through. Um, but if you have the lens cap off and you flick that little switch on the side of the, of the lens, it opens the shutter, uh, roasts your, roasts, uh, you're currently, you know, in front of the lens um, portion of film. Um, so that's, that's like one of the, that's certainly one of the idiosyncrasies that would drive uh, a normal person probably a little crazy. Like if I, if you gave this to a customer or something, <laughs> if you were trying to make these and sell these, um, I don't know if they would stand for the, for the, the trouble that they'll give you, yeah. you know, well, they're, they're not made for lazy photographers like myself. So uh, no, they're, they're very, they have a certain, um, way you have to use them and yeah and uh and you have to be in a certain mood i guess too so you gotta be it, ready to help yeah yeah you gotta be you gotta be forgiving you gotta I've be got in another that, one here gotta have that zen moment to to use those so for sure yeah this is my this is my four by five uh yeah john wow. this one i i took it to uh, a walk back in 2019 so it's uh it's a multi-format uh actually i recently tried to uh change the back and add some add a spring back, which does work. Although I don't, I don't, I don't love. It's kind of not strong enough. <laughs> I don't trust it, a hundred percent. But I tried to build a spring back that would also be compatible with my rollback, uh, and it it hold it holds four by five um, holders fine. And I have a I have an old four by five holder that was cracked on the sides, and I uh, cut out the inside and replaced it with a ground glass to serve as a removable uh, ground glass. Uh, sheets so there's no actually so they one of the ideas was that it, it could stay in place and lift up as i stick the the, the film Stuff holder in holder. there right uh, but this lens so this lens was based on a um 65 millimeter uh schneider large format lens so it covers four by five i got that at uh burlington camera for a nice deal so uh that's what set me down the path here to build this one um so it's built around that lens and truly really, not it's not built for any other uh, lenses. I've never put any of the lenses on it. Uh, the focusing mechanism is an old um, macro bellows, a Soligor macro bellows. I think it was the brand mm-hmm. that I removed a bunch of the. I removed the the standards, uh, cut them off, and uh, I'm using the tripod mounting screw actually, mounting hole. Um, put a stud in there, and that is now the um, the front lens shift. So this camera has uh, left and right shift, and it has 
rise and fall and tilt and swing. Hmm. Uh, it's only, it's only front lens movements, but, uh, it's, it has all those movements and it has a, a bag bellows, a trapezoidal, uh, bag bellows. Um, and then it has a rotatable film back, um, that I modeled after a uh, graphic view four by five monorail that I have. So it has pins on the, on the back, uh, that you, uh, you can undo two clips and then rotate it from landscape to portrait. Um, which gave me a, a fun issue that the uh, when it's in portrait mode, the viewfinder gets in the way <laughs> uh, of the dark slide. So then I had to modify my viewfinder mount. Uh, the viewfinder is actually a uh, it's a door peephole. Home Depot sells these these peepholes that are they're not super wide. They're only 120 degrees wide, but they're quite large diameter. They're like a one one inch diameter. So they're actually kind of nice to look through. It's not as nice as a real wide angle viewfinder. Um, but they're only like ten dollars, uh, and you can you can mask off the view with some black tape to uh, match the coverage of your lens. Um, so that goes on the top on a on a little swiveling mount that can move in and out. Um, so if you to take the dark slide out, you swing it out of the way, pull the dark slide out, then you can put the lens back or put the viewfinder back, and now you can line up your your shot. Uh, I usually shoot it with a, a shutter release in my left hand, and then there's a handle on the right side of the camera. So I, I hold it, uh, or I support the camera with my with my palm, and I have the shutter release in that same hand. And then the, the my right hand is on the grip. The cameras you showed us uh, so far, they tend to all be sort of you know wide angle lenses, where you know focusing is not as much of an issue. I guess the yeah. ultimate challenge would be to to build a uh, camera with some kind of coupled focusing. That would be almost impossible. Um, like rangefinder coupled, yeah. kind of thing. Mm-hmm. That would be difficult. Um, I mean, only rangefinder lenses, uh, you know, have a have a thing that moves. Uh, I mean, you could do it the way that um, um, uh, like those press cameras work. I've never I've never owned a press camera, so I've never actually or, or used one, so I've never got a good look at how they do it, but. The press camera press cameras have uh, rangefinder cams, and you switch cams out for different lenses and stuff. Mm-hmm. And yeah. they uh, they can um, rotate and uh, and move the rangefinder by the right amount, and you can switch it for different lenses, which is which is cool. And that divorces the the requirement from the lens itself and makes it part of it, makes it a feature of the camera, which is neat. Mm-hmm. You could certainly do it. Um, go, yeah, ground glass helps. Uh, scale focusing is probably the easiest thing to do, though. Uh, like this, the wide, the really wide 35 millimeter uses a, uses actually has a helicoil. They're sold on eBay. It's M42 to M42, this one. And so it's basically designed for, uh, macro focusing, but yeah, this lens, this, uh, 47 millimeter Schneider just barely fits inside of the, the inner diameter of that, uh, M42, uh, helicoil. Um, so if you, if you build it to, um, when the helicoil is fully compressed, be at infinity focus. You can mark out a scale and uh, and actually just scale focus um, if you know the distance to the subject, or if you just want to estimate the distance to the subject. And I guess you could always get a uh, non-coupled rangefinder accessory. Yep. And you know, build an accessory issue and put it and put it there. Actually, something that's really popular right now, you can buy uh, laser rangefinders from uh, eBay, and they are well on eBay. You can get them for about I think twenty dollars. And it's uh, it's meant for measuring rooms and stuff, um, but essentially it's uh, uh, it shoots at a laser and measures how long it takes for the light to come back 
and determines how far away the uh, target must be. Yep. Uh, and so you can use that as a alternative to an optical rangefinder um, because you can buy optical rangefinder accessories, um, but they're they're definitely not as accurate as these laser ones. These laser ones are good to like a sixteenth of an inch through the extent of their range, which is like more than fifty feet. So. Yeah, I, I know exactly. Yeah, I used to use, um, I still use one. I uh, use them occasionally uh, when I'm doing uh, landscape photography in large format and I want to figure out hypo- hyperfocal distance. Um, mm-hmm. So then I can just, you know, figure out where that is in my scene, you know, shoot the uh, measuring tool and, you know, focus on the, on whatever spot, you know, is the right length for the hyperfocal distance. So, yeah, very interesting way to do it. Absolutely. You might so not use it in a portrait session. <laughs> yeah, shoot them right in the eye, blind them. But they're um, actually they'd be good for a portrait session too, right? I mean, if you're if you're uh, using uh, uh, you know uh, range focus. Yeah, they're really convenient, and they're and they're cheap, uh, and they're they're small, uh, and they work well. So they're they're actually a really good answer. I know there are some people who have 3D printed uh, like little clips that let them mount it onto the camera, mm-hmm. um, like they'll mount on a hot shoe or something like that, which is not necessary, but kind of makes it more of like a piece of the system. Mm-hmm. Um, something else I did a long time ago was I modified my graphic view, aforementioned graphic view, um, that I wanted to fit in the backpack. So I made a new, I made a new monorail for it. That's made oh, of yeah, I remember that. pieces. Yeah. yeah. You brought that to the lug about, uh, that's right. Three yeah. Or four years ago. Yeah. Um, so it's got, uh, the, it has one rail, but it's, it's, uh, divided into three sections that are on hinges and can be reassembled on site. Uh, so it breaks down into um, uh, the total width, or it's three six-inch sections. So the total the total length is eighteen inches when it's assembled, but uh, you can shrink it down to six inches, and then it, it can lie, um, you know, facing outwards inside of a camera backpack or something. And it's much more convenient than uh, well, with that camera originally it was a fixed sixteen-inch rail, and it was uh, it just doesn't fit in anything. They give you like a big suitcase uh, when you buy the the camera. Um, but it's not convenient at all. So, so that, that was a nice, uh, modification. Uh, so that's, you know, that's just a, a relatively small modification of an existing camera. So a, a more general question now for you personally, what is the most rewarding part of building your own cameras? Uh, well, I really like, I really like building them. Um, so a big part of it is the actual building part. Um, I, I definitely spend more time building them than I do shooting them. Uh, or shooting cameras in general, <laughs> even ones I don't build. Um, I like the problem solving and there's something about like, I don't know, just making a camera that doesn't exist or uh, like in the case of the one that uses the lens from the Canon Owl, like it was taking a camera that I didn't like and maybe trying to turn pieces of it into a camera that I did like. Um, so like, I don't know, it's just, you know, the, there's the challenge, there's the, there's the, brain involvement there's the um the fabricating and the uh just the whole process um i really enjoy like i would enjoy making cameras for other people uh uh, as long as it's you know um, new and interesting and exciting so so a lot of it i'd say it's probably 75 percent the process um and then you know getting a result is is great uh and i uh, I don't always shoot them as much as I should, uh, but uh, they're they're interesting too. I like I like I like the results. I like working with the cameras uh, when they're finished. You know, a lot of them 
you know, you do need some patience for them uh, sometimes, especially compared to uh, uh, something like an SLR. So <laughs> it's not an everyday camera and they're usually pretty big and heavy too. So, um, but they can do stuff that no other camera can do. So that's, uh, that's a big part of it for sure. Now, are you working on any projects right now or do you have any other projects sort of on the horizon? I've been playing with the design for uh, a motorized um, panoramic camera. Um, and I have like a box of parts that's kind of waiting. And uh, I keep kind of fiddling with the design and then losing interest because I'm struggling to find a, a solution to a, a problem that I foresee with the camera or something like that. But um, the idea is a motorized camera that um, draws the film past a slit uh a lens there's a lens and then there's a slit and then um the camera will spin and it will also advance the film at the at the correct speed so that the uh image is formed um as the camera sweeps across the scene um there have been some companies that have done that kind of thing before there's a swiss company called i think they're swiss called sites s-e-i-t-z and they used to make a camera that did this and uh, uh, I've looked at that and kind of got some ideas from there. Um, I thought that would be neat because you can actually do, you can do like infinitely long panoramas if you want. You can do a panorama beyond 360. Um, if you had some kind of like, I don't know, changing scene, you could just keep on revolving the camera around and around until you're out of film. And is the technique um, called like slit scanning? It's slit, it's slit scanning. So normal slit scan or if you look up slit scan, what you'll find is um, the camera stationary and uh, what you see in your image uh, is moving objects and the background, the static background is just a blur. Um, this is a combination of that slit scan, but you also move the camera to cancel out the film moving motion. Mm -hmm. And what you end up essentially is tiny individual slices of an image that are correctly synced. Um, it's sort of bizarre, but there's this uh, relationship between the focal length of the lens and the uh, rate of rotation of the camera that you can figure out exactly what speed they need to spin at uh, because they both need to spin at, at different speeds or the film advance, you know, needs to go a certain um, millimeters per second for a certain uh, sh uh, uh, focal length of lens. Uh, and so you can, you can solve this equation basically to, get an effective shutter speed for a spinning camera that's also advancing the film past the slit at the same time. Um, um, who's that? A Lomo, the Lomo spinner camera. Have you ever seen those? Uh, no, I haven't. Lomo, Lomo makes this camera. They've making it for, for a long time, actually. It's a wind-up, uh, it's a it's a pull-string camera. They call it the Lomo spinner. Huh. And, it, and it uses the same idea. They've got some kind of fixed internal gearing. Uh, and you pull this rip cord and the camera, the top of the camera spins around on the, on the grip that you're holding. And the film is inside that spinning part. And as it spins, the film advances past, uh, I mean, you know, it's, it's a plastic lens and there's no like speed control. Actually your hand pulling the cord is the speed control. Um, so the shutter speed is kind of variable, but it does actually work. Um, and it's, and it's the same principle. Um, there's, there's been some other companies who've done like weird little things like that um, over the last 80 years. And they used to make um, circuit cameras. Have you ever heard of a circuit camera? They used to make these cameras that um, uh, would advance the film. I'm pretty sure they advanced the film while the 
it was it was like a field camera, but it was on a big gear, and they had a clockwork mechanism that would spin the whole camera while advancing a big, uh, like six inch wide sheet of film or something like that. Hmm. That's pretty um, cool. And cool. and, that, and they were doing that, um, like to do like you know you see those really wide like class photos and stuff from a hundred years ago, uh, or one hundred twenty years ago. You know, like all of this university's graduating yeah, class, yeah, like a yeah. thousand people in this huge photo. And the way that they would do that was one of these circuit cameras. Um, and I've heard it was essentially the same thing. And I've heard you know stories apparently as as pranks, like you know, let's say schoolboys in that big big picture. If you were standing at one end of the of the group of kids, uh, the uh, you know they take the picture, they start taking the picture. And if you could run quickly enough, you could get to the <laughs> other end of the group of people and be in the picture twice. Yeah, it's true. Um, because the, you know, the films were slow and the, um, the shutter speed is, is essentially related to the width, of the slit. Um, so it can take quite a little while for the, for the camera to complete its, its image. Um, so that, yeah, there is time to like for things to change. So you can end up with some weird effects too. Um, like if you were photographing a garage door opening, for example, um, you would end up seeing this, uh, triangular door in your final image because the door will be closed when the when the image starts and by the time it gets to the other side of the image the door is open now so the door would sort of morph hmm. uh, from one corner to the other things like that or clouds and things like that would would start to streak and do weird things oh yeah um, that would make sense yeah so the, um, but the, it, it's cool so the last question i have um like as as a builder are there are there like tools and techniques and materials that uh, you would love to try in a future project that you think about? Um, I don't know. I just, I always keep trying to make the quality better uh, of what I build. Um, I find aluminum is a really great material for it because um, it's reasonably light, it's strong, it's light proof. Uh, it's easy to, uh, I, ha- I have, I have the tools I need to make, relatively high precision parts out of it. Um, it, it looks nice. Like it's got a nice color. It doesn't rust. So you don't, you don't need to paint it or anything to prevent it from, uh, you know, turning brown. Um, so it's, I really like aluminum. I think aluminum is a, is a great overall material for camera building. Um, brass is always cool. Brass looks great. Um, you know, but it turns, it turns brown over time too, especially when you touch it, you get, uh, like rusty fingerprints on it. Um, but like, combinations of brass and aluminum i think look really nice so but i i really just want to keep like increasing the build quality um generally i start out with a great design and then you know the last little bit of like trying to get it to work you end up kind of mucking things up a little you know um getting in there with like hand tools and like or like there's it's happened so many times where I've got something assembled and then I'm sitting there with like a, like a tiny, you know, exacto knife trying to scrape something from out of the inside or, or jabbing at it with a tiny file. Cause I need to remove like a tiny little bit and I can't access it anymore. <laughs> it happens all too frequently. Or it gets to the point where I've, I've worn out uh, screw holes in wood because the, I've taken the thing apart and put it back together so many times that the, that the wood is, is, is wearing out uh, from putting the screw in and out of the hole. 50 times, but, um, just trying to keep elevating my, my quality and making the cameras that are like 
uh, easier to use and stuff. They, the 35 millimeter, uh, super wide, um, really beat me up because, um, uh, you know, like it's, it's convenient to be able to rely on the numbers on the back of the uh, backing paper for one one twenty. So book of 35, you don't have that luxury. So I tried to build a film counter that used a sprocket and then you have to make sure the film stays on the sprocket. And then I tried to build this uh, little indicator that would show me, I, I decided not to build a counter, but at least just a frame spacing indicator. So it's this little, there's two little plastic gears in there that um spin a wheel and one revolution of the wheel is supposed to be one frame uh of the, the camera but it's just always giving me trouble and uh and and the the whole mechanism kind of leaks light a little bit where i've got these gears coming up through the top of the camera to this wheel and then the wheel has a cover and the cover has a hole in it so you can see the wheel but it ends up kind of screwing up it just needs a little bit of work i think uh, to make it a little bit better. The film advances is, uh, is really tight. I actually spent a lot of time, uh, uh, trying to uh, reduce the friction in the film advance mechanism because, uh, it was, it was tearing the film. I, uh, I was running, uh, like some old bulk film through it. Um, and, and after like two or three tries, the film would end up ripping apart or I would rip the sprocket holes out of a section, have to cut it back. And, uh, and I went through like feet, many feet of film, uh, trying to <laughs> optimize the camera to uh, advance the film a little smoother um, because it's such a long film path uh, ac- uh, across this hundred millimeter wide um, frame uh, area. And then it goes through this sprocket and there's this, these little rollers and stuff. Um, so there's, there's a lot of, uh, it's a lot of problem solving they end up having to do. And, and some of it happens on the back end of the, your, of your, you, know, you try to anticipate your, problems ahead of time when you're coming up with a plan. Uh, but then you have a lot of problem solving to do on the back end after you've built it, making modifications and, uh, and adjustments and that sort of thing. Um, but it's neat. I mean, I don't, I don't think I've ever seen a, a hundred millimeter wide 35 millimeter. Um, so it's, it's pretty unique and, uh, and, uh, you know, it could even still be a work in progress. Uh, I should, I'll probably revisit it at some point and try to improve it a little bit more. But uh, it's fun to it's fun to you know just try things and uh, and see what happens. Well, Matt, I think we're going to end it there. So yeah, you definitely do amazing work. Uh, we'll have to get some pictures of these cameras from you so that we can put them on the uh, the show notes. Sure. So thanks a lot for being on the show. Thanks. 